X-Ray. Welcome to The Local, your daily dose of hometown news and democracy. I'm Jefferson Smith in Portland, Oregon, and it's almost Christmas. Wednesday, December 23rd. Tonight will be Christmas Eve Eve, our last show of the year. We may squeeze in a bonus episode. Boy, howdy. Thank you so much for helping us make this show. We'll be back Tuesday, January 5th, ready to go. But I did want to give a shout-out to a listener of The Local and an X-Ray DJ, one of the best DJs X-Ray's got. Alicia Carroll, you know her as DJ AM Gold. X-Ray. Several days ago until several days from now, back in the day, the Christmas flood of 1964. Considered a hundred-year flood, was the worst flood in recorded history on nearly every major stream and river in coastal northern California and one of the worst to affect the Willamette in Oregon. It also impacted Washington, Idaho, Nevada. In Oregon, 17 or 18 people died, caused hundreds of millions of dollars in damage. The flooding on the Willamette River covered 152,789 acres. National Weather Service rated the flood as the fifth most destructive weather event in Oregon in the 20th century. The story began when a cold snap began in mid-December and froze the soil. And after that, there was an unusually heavy snow. And then after that, a cloud band came through, also known as a moisture plume. Some might call it an atmospheric river. Came through and brought lots of heavy, warm rain. Temperature increased by 30 to 40 degrees. That melted all the snow, but it left the soil frozen. That meant the water couldn't get down into the soil. Some places got the equivalent of a year's rain in just a few days. Albany got 13 inches of rain in December, almost double its average. Detroit, Oregon got an extra 18 inches. Crater Lake, they got 38 inches of rain. By the end of the flood, every river in Oregon was above flood stage. More than 30 major rivers were impassable. It was the most severe rainstorm ever to happen in central Oregon, but it stretched all over the state, including Portland, where the lower deck of the steel bridge was underwater. It also got hit by a log graft that had a thousand logs on it. Closed the Hawthorne Bridge for a year, and the flooding of Willamette in 1964 was second only to the 1948 flood that wiped out Vanport City. We talked about that. So for all our complaining about 2020, and that included fires, let's knock on wood and say thank you that it hasn't included that kind of flood. Next year's 2021. Today we'll have details on the new stimulus package passed by Congress with X-Ray in the Morning host Christine Alexander and Kira Lindenberg. X-Ray. But first up, it is time for today's Quick 6 Local Rundown. Three landlords in Oregon are suing the state following Monday's extension of the eviction moratorium. But actually, to be clear, it's John DiLorenzo who's filing the suit. He's the lawyer. I mean, the clients matter. John DiLorenzo finds the clients as much as the clients find him. We've talked about him before. He's former counsel to the Oregon Republican Party. And he loves to sue Portland, and he loves to sue Oregon. Or if he doesn't love it, he grins and bears it. And in this case, the landlords, through their lawyer, are asking a U.S. district court to end the ban on evictions. Lawmakers extended it for six more months. And right after that vote happened, this lawsuit got filed. The suit alleges the ban is unconstitutional. The government is essentially taking their property, forcing them to provide housing utilities without proper compensation. So why did the lawsuit get filed right after the bill passed? Well, for one thing, it's about the eviction ban they passed. For another, the lawsuit also has the backing of Multifamily Northwest, and they were working to push the legislature to get money to landlords. $200 million getting sent. If they'd already filed a lawsuit, lawmakers might have taken a little less kindly to passing the bill. Multifamily Northwest, to be clear, was pushing more aid for landlords. Those proposals didn't get traction on Monday. Might still hit the floor in the legislature in January. And now it's time for your daily dose of data 
On Tuesday, Oregon Health Authority announced 1,282 cases of COVID-19, over 400 more than on the previous day. They also announced a staggering 35 additional deaths, bringing Oregon's death toll to 1,382. Of the new cases, 579 were reported between Multnomah, Washington, and Clackamas counties. Oregon's total is now 105,073. At a press conference yesterday, Governor Kate Brown announced that educators will be vaccinated with other essential workers. The extra priority given to teachers likely points to the continued pressure on Brown to reopen schools. During yesterday's press conference, Brown said, quote, we need to make sure our kids know they come first. Educators will now be vaccinated with the same urgency as other essential workers, as well as people over 75 and people with pre-existing conditions. However, the state also announced that Oregon will continue to receive fewer vaccines than they requested. According to OHA Director Patrick Allen, this week's deliveries will likely be cut by 30 percent, following last week's shortfall of about 40 percent. So far, about 35,000 doses have been distributed to nursing home residents and frontline health workers, and just over 7,000 of those doses have been administered. Four far-right demonstrators were arrested during Monday's special session. One suspect still on the loose. As lawmakers gathered in Salem to pass the emergency coronavirus relief, as we talked about yesterday, several dozen far-right protesters gathered to protest Oregon's COVID restrictions. The Proud Boys were there. Patriot Prayer was there. Joey Gibson was there. Police declared the gathering a non-permitted flash mob and made four arrests. I didn't know you had to have a permit for a flash mob. Two got arrested for refusing to leave the vestibule inside the state capitol. Another got arrested on suspicion of unlawfully using mace, as distinct from lawfully using mace. Fourth got arrested for breaking a window. State troopers are still searching for 40-year-old Jeremy Roberts. He allegedly assaulted two reporters at the scene. Tony DeFalco has been chosen as Latino Network's new executive director. DeFalco will be stepping in to replace Carmen Rubio, who's heading to Portland City Council next month. Rubio won that election in the primary after taking almost 68% of the vote. DeFalco currently chairs the Coalition of Communities of Color, and he was instrumental in creating the Clean Energy Fund in 2018. Over the past decade, Latino Network has grown into a major feature of Portland's nonprofit landscape. Under Rubio, their staff ballooned from around a dozen to over 100, and their budget has grown by about $10 million. In her statement on the Latino Network's new leadership, Rubio concluded by simply saying, quote, Latino Network is in good hands. And Dr. T. Allen Bethel, Portland civil rights leader, police reform advocate, passed away at the age of 67. Maranatha Church announced his passing on Facebook on Monday. He had pastored at Maranatha for 26 years. Maranatha was a church where our mother was buried. My stepmother actually, Meredith Wood Smith, and Pastor Bethel was a gracious host. He's remembered for leading the Albina Ministerial Alliance, a coalition of Portland pastors which first formed back in the 1960s. At its height, AMA encompassed 125 predominantly black congregations in North and Northeast Portland. At one point, reached a budget of a million dollars, which it used to fund child care and housing services. The AMA also had a police reform group that was working for years and years before the killing of George Floyd. In June of this year, they issued a message of solidarity and demanded the city make police reform a top priority. In his own statement, Dr. Bethel said, We all have the capacity to love even those who may not agree with us, stand opposite us, or even against us. Dr. Bethel, thank you. 
And finally, some good news. Do-it-yourself whale watching is a go on the Oregon coast. Between December 27th and New Year's Eve, some 20,000 gray whales are expected to migrate down the Oregon coast as they make their way to their breeding grounds near Baja, Mexico. The Oregon Parks Department is advising people to maintain distance and wear masks, but it is otherwise permitting people to take in the sights at popular spots like Cape Mears and Boiler Bay. As in the spring, guests will have to spot whales on their own without the help of the dozens of rangers and volunteers who normally run the show. Likewise, the Whale Watching Center in Depot Bay will remain closed. So if you're headed out to brave the cold, remember to bring your binoculars, your patience, and as always, stay back. And that's today's, that's today's Quick, Quick 6, six Local, local Rundown. Rundown. X-ray. Congress passed a second stimulus package this week. Here are X-Ray in the Morning Tuesday co-hosts Christina Alexander and Kira Lindenberg with a rundown of what's in and what's next. X-Ray in the Morning is on air Monday through Friday from 7 to 9 a.m. on 91.1 and 107.1 FM or streaming at xray.fm. X-Ray. I'm your host, Christine Alexander, broadcaster, carpenter, and uh, Jill of all trades. Kira, of course, known for the science project and the podcast, Everything is Interesting. Uh, today's top story, Congress passes a COVID relief gift to the wealthy and corporations, including what Senator Ron Wyden called a three-martini lunch provision. Thank goodness for that. Common Dreams is reporting that the bill does include a $600 check to individuals and an additional $300 a week in unemployment. Uh, two Democratic representatives voted against it. Rashida Tlaib from Michigan and Tulsi Gabbard from Hawaii voted no. The entire Senate Democratic caucus, the Senate, though, and every uh, Republican except for six voted for the roughly $900 billion coronavirus relief legislation, which was paired with a $1.4 trillion spending package that will fund the federal government through next September. So there was sort of dueling issues going on in the vote last night. They were avoiding a government shutdown and trying to get some relief for COVID. As I said, Common Dreams is reporting that this is another really big gift to the wealthy. The, the provisions that we were hoping for as progressives are greatly trimmed down, but they are there. However... Senator Bernie Sanders calls it pathetic, pointing to the bill's $120 billion in handouts to rich business owners and other provisions that will disproportionately benefit the wealthiest people in the country. So the three martini lunch I mentioned, this is a tax deduction for business meals. It was one of several giveaways to wealthy Americans that stuffed that were just stuffed in willy-nilly in this mammoth legislative package they were only given a few hours to read it because they had some printing problem oh, and i can't even we'll get to that oh That's... my god <laughs> a few hours and and they're saying that this 5593 page 2.3 trillion dollar bill thought to be the largest single piece of legislation in congressional history representative alexandria ocasio-cortez a uh, Democrat from New York, was one of several lawmakers who publicly expressed outrage at the lack of time lawmakers were given to read this bill. 
before voting on it. So before I get into the details of it, Kira, what do you think about um, what we see so far? I mean, it just came out. I don't, <laughs> I don't expect that you've read the bill, as did very few. In co- I guess nobody in Congress read it. There's no way anybody, <laughs> even the Evelyn Wood speed read readers could not have read that bill. Uh, I would assume the people who wrote it haven't even, I mean, you know, no one person wrote 5,593 pages, so I can't even imagine anybody has sat down and read the thing cover to cover. Oh, which my. is, the, but we that, have, go ahead. We have to do something. About, I mean, that is absolutely ludicrous. Like there, there needs to be some more oversight. And that is what we're learning from 2020 is that there needs to be oversight of our police, oversight of our Senate, oversight of obviously our federal government. And uh, maybe, you know, maybe one of those changes that needs to be implemented is uh, you have to give people adequate time to read 6,000 pages of legislation before they have to vote on it. Before they vote on it. Well, what I find interesting, too, is the contrast. I don't know if you recall, but back in 2008, during the um, Great Recession, the financial crash that happened at the end of the George W. Bush administration, we, we, Congress passed TARP. The the um, the relief bill to bail out big banks and it was guess how many pages long? Eight. One. One page. Are you serious? It was one page, and everybody was like, "You can't pass a bill giving that much freedom and leeway and just saying here we'll give you all this money." One page, and here we talk about bailing out the American people, and they make it almost six thousand pages long. So nobody can read it or figure out what it is. Right. You know, I just think that, oh, the hypocrisy. Yes. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Are you still being surprised at hypocrisy showing up in Congress? How I, I'm, you know, it's funny because I'm, I tend to be kind of uh, one of those people, like, if you pull a prank on me or a practical joke, I'm totally gullible. I totally buy it. Like, <laughs> you know, and, and I guess that's that that glimmer of hope that still is in my sure. heart that that we're all good people yeah. and we're all telling the truth. And and I guess it's not always true. But here's the thing. On top of the 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 direct payments, which we're looking at, um, the new bill passed provides a non-retroactive so that means you can't go back and reapply for the old one that's over this three hundred dollars a week federal boost to unemployment insurance is happening and there's an 11 week extension of unemployment insurance benefits but it's also got more documents that are going to be required for um uh getting it of course this is going to be difficult for applicants who are struggling with you know rickety state systems like here in Oregon we 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 had a huge backup so absolutely the good news is the stimulus checks could start reaching people's bank accounts as early as next week treasury thank goodness I know six hundred dollars are going to keep me in my rent well we speaking of rent there were some things that were passed in the Oregon legislature emergency session too which we'll get to um in a little bit but first um so uh, here's the deal. Uh, you want me to get break it down and give people, sh- should I give people a, a rundown of what's in this bill, Kira, you think? Or at least as it affects most Americans, or should I just say, ah, puh. No, 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 I would very much like to know, especially if you've done your research. I mean, I don't want to read all 6,000 pages on the no, air. But... No, no, and, and so kind of consider that I've done that for you, even though I haven't. Yes. 
Okay. (laughs) This is just gleaning from various news sources all over the interwebs. And please, yes, I'd love to know. Aside from the big giveaway to big business, here's what the legislation includes for average Americans. First, stimulus checks, a second round of stimulus checks, though smaller than those we got earlier this year. These direct payments include $600 for individuals who made $75,000 a year or less in adjusted gross income in 2019, and $1,200 for couples who made $150,000 or less. Individuals and couples with children who qualify for this stimulus checks would also receive an additional $600 per child. Payments will be incrementally reduced for people who make more in annual income like they were in the spring. Okay, so moving on to unemployment insurance. This plan includes an additional $300 in weekly federal unemployment insurance payments through March 14th of 2021. That's about three more months. Uh, but this, the pandemic will be over. Oh, of course, over. <laughs> well, because we're rounding the curve. We're rounding the turn here. You know, like uh, our Can't president tell if you're said. Kidding or not. <laughs> well, it'll be over by See, Easter. See, I got so. you, didn't I? I got you. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I also have that glimmer of hope. Right. So uh, this this payment um, is going to bolster what uh, people might get from their regular state unemployment programs, like um, the prior provision for the CARES Act. This would also extend that pandemic unemployment insurance programs that are expiring in December, and they're currently providing roughly 12 million Americans with benefits, those those extensions. So that's important. Um, when it comes to small business, $325 billion is dedicated to small business aid, including repurposed funding for the Paycheck Protection Program. That's a forgivable loan program that business owners can apply for to cover payroll and operational costs. These loans aimed at businesses that have seen revenue decline this year. For many, though, this aid comes too late. According to a Fortune report, almost 100,000 small businesses have already closed permanently during the pandemic. You know, Kira, we've talked about that here on the air when we speak um, with Eater PDX. How many restaurants alone you know, I know we concentrate on restaurants. There are lots of other small businesses, too. But we've lost so much. And I think that that, because we're all still sort of sheltered in place, we're not really feeling as consumers. We're not really seeing it up front to how many businesses we've lost and how many of our neighbors' small businesses have had to close because of this. But I think once things start to open up, we're really going to be met with the stark reality of, of what what effect the pandemic had on people's people's livelihoods besides just going to a job. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I mean, we knew at the beginning of this pandemic that this was going to change the landscape of the way that we live. And one way is that you're right, 100,000 small businesses have closed. But I, I also, it, it comes as not a surprise at all. I I mean, I just, I don't understand. I have to say, I'm really surprised when the pandemic first started and we knew that we weren't really going to be getting financial support from the government in a way that would help us keep our small businesses and our restaurants alive. Um, And we knew that there wasn't going to be a rent moratorium. I mean, that's just like, that's a kindergarten math, right? If you're not getting financial help and you still have to pay your rent, there's a very small window where you're going to be able to continue to do that. 
I am really surprised that more people didn't stake a claim and say, no, you know what? I'm not leaving. And and I do. I wonder, I mean, not to sound like a, maybe it's because I watched Tank Girl too many times when I was growing <laughs> up, but I, I truly, I mean, when you think about it, like my generation has been prepared for the post-apocalyptic world for as long as I could remember. And I do, I really wonder after the pandemic is over and we see how many of our businesses have closed, what kind of like underground economy that's going to open up and how many of us are going to say like, you know what, we're sick of the way things are working and we're just going to, we're going to become more of a community and the small business, I don't know, we'll find a way to operate in their neighborhoods. I that, hope, that's my hope anyway. I hope so too. I think that's a, a hopeful note. So uh, there is a provision in this new legislation from uh, the Con- United States Congress, rental assistance and eviction moratoriums. $25 billion in rental assistance is included, as well as the establishment of a federal eviction moratorium. Uh, as Vox's Jerusalem Demsus previously reported, tenant advocates have argued that at least $100 billion in rental aid is needed to cover current shortfalls. Additional action would be required to ensure that millions of Americans would not be evicted at the end of January. We've also got something like that that was put in place in the emergency session that just happened in the Oregon legislature, which we'll get into in a little bit. In this that's nas- great. That's great news. So long as rents are not retroactively due, and um, I, I don't know, I don't know where this bill stands on that. Yeah, it's a double-edged sword. You have to think about the tenant, but you also have to think about the landlord because that's a small business as well. That's Absolutely. someone's income yeah. as well. So, um, food aid: thirteen billion dollars for food aid to help fund a monthly fifteen percent increase in individual SNAP benefits. Um, also paid sick leave, tax credits for businesses that voluntarily provide paid leave, which continues a policy established in the Families First Coronavirus Response Act. But companies are not mandated to offer those benefits. Uh, the legislation contains a number of other provisions. The bill includes $82 billion to help schools reopen. That's good. $45 billion for public transit systems, $27 billion to help states ramp up COVID-19 testing, and $15 billion in small business loans specifically targeted to theaters and small venues that have been hit particularly hard by the pandemic. This bill, oh, That's interesting. Yeah, I was surprised to see that, but that's, you know, I wondered about the theaters because I know I haven't been to the movies in eight months. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, the bill also includes $15 billion in aid for airlines. With that, they would be required to bring furloughed employees back. That's according to Reuters. Um, the bill also includes language to ban surprise medical bills for emergency care. Um, bipartisan oh. negotiations and the practice that contributes to some patients getting these steep medical bills from out-of-network providers. So that's good news. Uh, how, That's interesting. I wonder if that just covers COVID emergency bills or all emergency bills. Uh, I think all emergency bills. Uh, I, I don't have that detail. I'm not sure. This bill does provide direct aid for state and local governments, uh, which was a Democratic priority. Uh, excuse me. It does not provide direct aid for state and local governments. The liability protections the Republicans wanted 
are out as well. So there was a give and take really? there. Yeah. I am surprised at that because wasn't that what Mitch McConnell was saying? He absolutely would not pass a bill unless it had protections for businesses. Yep, but they didn't get it. So that's a good thing. Hmm. Um, and lastly, the additional deferment of step federal. This is important to me because I still have a huge federal student loan debt. Addition, oh, who doesn't? I know. So the, the bad news is that deferment of federal student loan payments was not included in the agreement. So we got to start paying our student loans again in January, which is cool. a bummer. But maybe our new president will sign a, an executive order that will, um, that will forgive all student debt. It could happen. It could happen. Joe Biden could do that. Can we listen? I have so many economic questions, and I feel, I feel when it gets when it comes to science, I've got it covered. When it comes to politics, you've got it covered. But I have so many questions. Like, what would happen to the economy if we froze rents? What if what if people stopped paying their rent for the entire year? What if people stopped paying their mortgage for their entire year? You know, a government mandated. Mm -hmm. What if? We just forgave all student loans. What would happen? I have I well, student loans economics is, is making any sense to me. Student loans is a little is is very different from rents and things like that because, as I said, rents are a private um, a, a private enterprise. But when we're talking about student loan forgiveness, it's a federal program. We have federal sure. student aid, and that is a federal program that that we as a as a nation just like you provide tax cuts like we had this huge tax bill that was that was a, a few month a year or two ago when Trump came in office this big windfall for the rich we, that if we provided federal student aid relief we would be providing basically a tax cut for all of those with student debt because huh. we'd be getting rid of that debt so it's a federal program so we have we have the capability we could do that um, well, that is good to know yeah. X-ray. Thanks to Christine and Kira for joining the local. Huge thanks to the production team. Executive editor extraordinariness, Will Romy. Editors and writers, Miranda Selinger, Julie Oppenheimer, writer Sherwood. And thank you to our talented interns who are finishing up their internship with X-ray. Jonathan Covington-Brem, Sophie Mallon, Brian Miller, Kali Quadros, Jaleesa Ringering, and Sam Smargiasi. Each of those wonderful people brought their creativity and ideas they made us better every day. Big thanks to co-executive producer Emily Gilliland. I'm Jefferson Smith. And thank you for listening to The Local, your hometown, in about 30 minutes. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. And thank you, democracy. Talk to you next year.